The Truth News Network. Where do you begin? Seriously, where do you begin to understand what's happening in the last 18 months? Life in this world is beginning to look like the director's cut of Lord of the Rings. Indescribable torment, tyranny, and it just never ends. Okay, let's take a moment. Separate fact from Hollywood. For that, you need the truth. DNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman. You know, I was just sitting here thinking about what's going on down in Florida. Can you picture this? Ten days ago, I guarantee you not a single person that lived in Naples or Fort Myers or Sarasota gave one little thought to the fact that everything they owned in the world was going to be under siege by a hurricane And many people not only lost those things, they lost lives, family members. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Friday edition of TNN Live. Yeah, it's never good, never fun to talk about bad things that happen to people. But you know what? Sometimes bad things happen to good people. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. Sometimes it's not because the person did something wrong or they deserved it, it's because some things, sometime bad things, happen to good people. I'll never forget when our youngest daughter and her husband, five years after they were married, got pregnant. They waited that long to get established and found out there was something wrong with the baby about five, six months in baby had an incurable disease called Turner's syndrome. And so Corey carried my grandchild, my granddaughter, to term. They had to take the baby, stillborn. And I will never forget that whole incident that we all lived through. It was horrible. There's no way to even describe the pain and the agony that that mom and dad felt, Scott and Corey. When Emerson passed away, it was about a week, maybe 10 days later, my uh, my brother, Denny Duran, the chancellor of Evangel Christian Academy in Shreveport, also the head football coach, he's been my brother, his parents took me in when I was 16 years old, he stood in the Fashion Mall in Scottsdale, Arizona where we had gone to take Corey and Scott just to get away, not knowing that Denny and his wife and son were out there at the identical same time, and we just happened to all show up at the fashion mall at the same time. I I just gave you the background about going through some really bad things. It's indescribable when you start thinking about losing a child, especially the first child. They'd waited five years, planned everything out, so they could get established in their businesses and be ready and able to be good moms and dads. Then he took Scott, my son-in-law, to the side. And he said, sometimes bad things happen to good people. In this case, this is one of those things. And he said, if you and Corey will refuse to shake your fist in God's face in anger, he'll pay you back. He'll pay you back. Thirteen months later, Corey gave birth to Grace, 
and also Emmeline, twins. God paid them back. God paid all of us back, double, because we refused to get mad at God and just accepted that sometimes bad things happen to good people. That's what's going on down in Florida. There's no need to point fingers and place blame on anybody, especially for political brownie points. And of course, it's going to happen. It does all the time. And Governor Ron DeSantis, he's kind of in the bullseye of some of that insanity that's going on down there. And I mean insanity. People are just piling on and piling on. And there's no way to describe it. There's no fault to be placed there. There's not. It just happens sometimes. Bad things happen to good people. Joy Behar of The View. Yesterday, she couldn't resist it. Of course, she, she's a climate change god. You know that. She's one of those that somehow got in the line and she went to the front of the line and when they were picking who were going to be the experts and who were going to be the voices for the climate change activists. And Joy Behar raised her hand. Ooh, 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 me, 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 call on me. Well, she got the gig. And if you haven't heard what she said yesterday, you got to listen to this. Listen to um, Dave Rubin break this down and then you'll hear Joy Behar telling us what exactly is going on in Florida and why. These people are just liars and buffoons and they will do anything for politics. And of course, the best thing you can do for politics is destroy your opponents uh, and sort of wish death on people. Here's Joy Behar from The View. This is the quote from Governor DeSantis about climate change. Quote, I am not in the pews of the church of the global warming leftists. This is what he thinks about climate change. And now his state is getting hit with one of the worst hurricanes well, that they will ever perhaps. see. Joy, you have no idea if this has anything to do with climate change. You have just simply no idea. What DeSantis is saying is just because the media and the left say that this is all climate change and all of these things, uh, and AOC says we have 12 years to live, and all of this stuff, it doesn't mean any of it's true. It simply does not mean any of it's true. And there's, you can, there's also a certain, a certain joy, right? She, joy, she's Joy Behar, she's actually quite joyless. But when people are being hurt in a place that she doesn't like, then there's a certain joy there. Like, you see, he's saying this while his state gets hit. Really? Really? It's just so incredibly dumb. Anyway, here is more of DeSantis last night, and uh, let's contrast that with, let's contrast Joy Behar with what it sounds like to be a real leader uh, and a little bit of where's Biden. When a natural disaster like this strikes a state, it is, it is common. It's, I, I think it's always the case that the state receives federal aid. Given how politicized things are at the moment, are you confident you're going to get the federal support Florida needs? So I actually spoke with the president and he said he, he wants to be helpful. So we did submit a request for reimbursement for the next 60 days at 100 percent. 
Uh, that's uh, significant uh, support, but it's a significant storm. So we haven't heard back from it, but I'm actually cautiously optimistic that we do. I mean, as you say, Tucker, we live in a very politicized time. But, you know, when people are fighting for their lives, when their whole livelihood is at stake, when they've lost everything, uh, if you can't put politics aside for that, uh, then you're just not going to be able to. So I'll work with anybody who wants to help the people of southwest Florida and throughout our state. Amen. Yeah, that's what a leader does. That's what a leader is supposed to say. Um, it's not all about politics. And I am going to, for a moment, uh, give Joe Biden the benefit of the doubt for just one moment, and, uh, and I understand he's not in charge and all that stuff. I'm gonna give whoever's pulling the strings the benefit of the doubt for the moment and assume that they are gonna do the right thing here and make sure that Florida gets all of those federal funds uh, and that they're not gonna somehow punish Florida because they don't like that Florida's become red or they don't like Governor DeSantis. There, there's simply no doubt that the administration at some level would love DeSantis to take a hit here, right? It's just how politics is, it's just reality. But I'm going to hope that they uh, do the right thing. And, and again, whatever I can do over the next months and, and years, I mean, some of this stuff is going to take years. Uh, I'm absolutely going to do it because I am full of gratitude for the state, the people that live here, for Florida man, uh, for the gators and the iguanas and the frogs and everything else. And uh, there's, there's work to do. So there you go. Joy Behar could not resist taking control over passing out blame and guilt. And she basically, without any question, made it very clear. It's factual, at least in her mind. Ron DeSantis, he doesn't live in the pew of climate change worshipers. I understand what he said. You should too. Climate change activists, they literally look at climate change as a religion. And what's interesting is there's no absolutes anywhere in climate change. I mean, you can't get right down the middle and come up with the real reasons, the explanations for, you just can't do it. It's too opaque. There are so many questions that are unanswered. It's kind of like now that uh, NASA has opened up and told us there really are people that, I, I say people, there are beings that, living somewhere else in the universe. And they've known that for decades. We've thought it, but they have confirmed it. Maybe we'll get that same thing with climate change, but we don't have it yet. The science is not uncontroverted. For every scientist that will come up and get in your face and maintain that climate change is real and denigrate you for not believing it, there's another scientist that has... 180 degrees away in science that debunks what the climate change activist scientist had to say. So why do we have to pick sides in all of these things? Why can't we just agree to disagree on some things and just be cordial and accept the fact that you believe it one way, I believe it another way. And there are so many things that have been politicized in our lives today that get started the exact same way gender identity, transphobias, um, changing your sex, all of those kinds of things. They're in that gray area. And so why do people feel like they can take those differences of opinion to weaponize against people? I love the fact 
that our forefathers saw this beginning to happen in somewhere late in the equation, not even in that century, 1776, around there. But later on, somebody came up with the idea that the United States of America is one nation under God, one nation under God. Our forefathers wrote those kind of tenets into the U.S. Constitution. Before that, our Declaration of Independence. We, you and me, we have unalienable rights that were given to us, not by our government, but by our creator. We're all different. And instead of getting an evil pointer finger and pointing it, shaking it in people's faces that think different from you, instead of doing that, why don't you try to just find some commonality? Wouldn't it be wonderful if you got along with everybody that lives around you, everybody in your extended family, everybody you work with? And you don't have to agree lock, stock, and barrel with everything somebody else believes. You've got your own personality. You've got your own fundamentals. They do too. Even if it's just agreeing to disagree, and just leaving the vitriol and anger and bitterness, leave it right there. Don't pick it up and walk away from a conversation with that person with it in your hand or stuck in your purse or pocket. Leave it. Leave it. The vitriol and the anger does nothing good for anybody. I got to be honest with you, in fact, if you, if you embrace and hold it, It's going to do bad things to you psychologically, mentally, even physically. Hatred. Hatred becomes something that goes deep into our minds, our psyches, our thought processes, and our hearts. It's hard to shake it. And it can make us do things, think things, and crank up all kinds of enzymes and bad things within us. And none of it's good. Don't embrace any of it. And by the way, having it, believing it, acting on it, that's not something that's passed down from your moms and your dads. That comes from choices that we make. You choose to believe this and disbelieve something else or exactly the opposite. Sometimes we choose bad things. Sometimes we believe things that aren't real, aren't right, aren't accurate, don't exist. That's because we're humans. But why don't we, here's a novel idea, why don't we respect the fact that every other human has the same rights as us? We can be right and we can be wrong. They can be right and they can be wrong. Sometimes we're right together at the same time. Sometimes we're not. That's because we're humans. That's because we each have a different set of life circumstances and an environment in which we live. So we think differently. I don't want everybody to think just like me. And I certainly don't want to think and act just like everybody else or anyone else. I'm an individual. You are too. That's good enough for me. How about you? What do we have coming up today? A little bit more about Ian If uh, if you're looking for Ian information, uh, there are a bunch of different places on television, on the web web pages. Uh, 
that you can go to 24-7 and get the latest updates. We're just going to talk about a couple of things and move on. We have some important things to address here today. Congress, important things before Congress, what they've already done and what they're supposed to do. So we'll just get started. And of course, at any time, as always, if you want to join the conversation, toll free, 1-866-37-TRUTH. That's one 866-378-7884. We'll talk about anything. And by the way, this is not a radio broadcast. This is a streaming live broadcast that turns into a podcast after we go off the air live. Now, why am I bringing that up? There's no regulations. There are no uh, strict things that you can't do or you'll get in touch with Uncle Sam, the... the uh, uh, Federal Communications Commission, the FCC. So you can say anything. We can talk about anything here at TNN Live. Give us a call. Well, Biden, as you know, he is one of the most partisan hacks to ever live in the White House. He is totally politicizing everything, and that means even people in his life. And if you ever come out and cross him or say anything bad, you're on his, you're on his list. I started to say you're on his S list. And Ron DeSantis is on his list, Joe Biden's list. And so he didn't call Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, before Ian hit, and not even while it was going on, he did call And I think, and pretty much the consensus of most Americans is the only reason he called is because news across the nation were reporting the president hasn't spoken to Ron DeSantis. So yesterday, oh, Joe, he claimed that he had spoken with Ron DeSantis about the federal government response to Hurricane Ian four or five times. Well, the White House spent most of Tuesday defending Biden for resisting to make a personal phone call to the governor, despite previously doing so for every other governor facing damaging hurricanes. On Tuesday, Governor DeSantis told reporters he hadn't heard from the president personally, but that he would be happy to brief Mr. Biden if he's interested in hearing what we're doing down in Florida. You've got people's lives at stake. There's no time for pettiness. we got to work together to make sure We're doing the best job for the people, he said. So my phone line's open. Well, Biden called him Tuesday evening, and that was confirmed by the White House. They confirmed at the White House a second call with DeSantis yesterday morning after the storm hit the state, causing severe damage. Biden told reporters yesterday he had spoken with DeSantis four or five times already. He had spoken to him twice. The president took some time, of course, to pat himself on the back. He told reporters that Governor DeSantis was very happy with Biden's federal response to the storm. He complimented me. This is Uncle Joe. He complimented me. He thanked me for the immediate response we had. He told me how much he appreciated it. He told me he was extremely happy with what was going on. He told DeSantis told Biden that he was happy, 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 happy. 
I don't want to go down that road. Biden agreed with DeSantis about the importance of bipartisanship in the federal response. This is not about whether anything having to do with our differences politically. This is about saving people's homes, lives, and businesses. And on that note, he's right. No question about it. So the book is far from being in on the damages that Hurricane Ian has done. Ian's not finished. Ian strengthened back to a Category 1 hurricane, and Ian is about to hit South Carolina. So after it made landfall on Florida's west coast, this was Wednesday, it came ashore as a Category 4 hurricane. It gradually weakened going across the state of Florida and turned into a tropical storm while crossing the Florida Peninsula and then began to regain strength after it went out over the Atlantic Ocean as a Category 1 hurricane yesterday afternoon. It kind of did a loop. It went out kind of east-northeast, and then it began to curve back around. So it pretty much missed the state of Georgia. But it's about to get after South Carolina. And when it comes ashore today there, it'll be a Category 1 hurricane. Maximum sustained winds are now at about 75 miles an hour, we're told. Higher gust than that. Ian could slightly strengthen before landfall. Is forecast to rapidly weaken over the southeastern U.S. late today into tomorrow. That's from the Hurricane Advisory. Earlier yesterday, officials reported the first confirmed death down in, in Florida. We reported what the sheriff of Lee County said early yesterday morning, which shocked me. It shocked a bunch of other people. He was asked, and he said, The death count in Florida before this is over will be in the hundreds. I hope and pray that he's wrong, don't you? If you've never been through a storm like that, whatever you do, don't look down your noses at people that are going through it. It's, It's horrible. It's horrible. You know, the wind and all the rain, it's terrible when it happens. And it does do a lot of damage. But what really does the most damage is the water, the standing water. I saw some pictures uh, this morning, just right before we went live on the air, of in-town Orlando. Orlando is not, a lot of people think Orlando's on Florida's coast. It's not. It's dead set in the middle of the Florida Peninsula. Uh, It's about an equal distance going east from Orlando to get to water, the Atlantic Ocean, or going west from Orlando, and you're going to the Gulf of Mexico. Standing water, it looked like one was in an apartment complex, and cars that were parked in the parking lot of the complex, water was up halfway up the driver's window. Standing water is the thing that just really messes with people. It'll stay around in water as necessary as it is for all of us. It'll destroy stuff. It's the universal solvent. You leave something in water long enough and it's going to change if it doesn't do away with whatever you put in that water. It's pretty serious and there's standing water all over Florida now. Lots and lots of rain and then of course storm surges came up seven, eight, nine feet I mean, you talk about water levels coming up seven, eight, nine feet. That's amazing. 
So some of the, there's so many big moving parts in this kind of stuff. We could talk about all kinds of things. People are never prepared, totally prepared for a storm like this. You do your best. You think you got everything figured out and then it comes in and you realize, oh my gosh, I didn't think it was going to be nearly this bad. It changes everything. And there will be, we will see for days and days, continued deaths that happen at the hands of water. One of the number one things in one of these kind of storms that really gets tested every time there is one, not just hurricanes, but floods, massive fires, tornadoes, any kind of natural disaster. One of the biggest lacks or problems is energy. I heard this morning there were still 2 million people without power down in Florida, although they had gotten almost a million back online already. Florida Power and Light is working 24-7. Um, Ron DeSantis had, I saw it, it was a picture of a fleet of staged Florida Power and Light trucks with the booms on it that were ready to go 48 hours before the hurricane hit to put power back on. There's so many moving parts when you get into that. There are a lot of places where when they go to a house, they can't turn the power back on because of flooding. They don't know the status of what's inside. And you don't want to turn the power on and find out that there was a natural gas valve that was left open in the house and the house blows up. So they have to be really, really careful. It takes a while when there's flood water and there's a lot of that. But we have, we've talked about it since Biden been president. We have severe energy problems ourselves. Forget about for a minute, I, Ian. Before Ian even was a little boy, <laughs> we had energy problems here in the United States. And it's only going to get worse. That's what one economist told Neil Cavuto yesterday. President Biden needs to allow energy producers to do what they do. That's what Nick Laura said. Nick is the vice president of public policy for C3 Solutions. You know, this really is a supply and demand issue. Every time there's a natural disaster, we hear about price gouging. And if we actually set price caps on gas, on water, on generators, that's going to result in a much worse situation because you're going to have a lot of people hoarding these commodities and therefore a lot of people won't be able to get them. A lot of people that need them most won't be able to get them, to meet them. So this is really not a problem right now. The energy industry is working hard to keep refineries and stations online to make sure that prices stay as low as possible. But really, there's no issue here. It's just a fact of supply and demand. Now, what brought this on? Well, Biden threatened yesterday, he threatened oil companies with a federal investigation if they engaged in price gouging in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian. Gas prices are up 99 cents a gallon now from September of 2021. Now, I want to spend a few minutes talking about this energy situation. You do realize that our government has a strategic oil reserve that we keep 
and it was designed and has been maintained through several decades to be used only in the case of domestic emergencies, kind of like um, in the hurricane. Okay, just look at Florida as an example. Right now, Florida doesn't have a lot of electricity. When you go into a service station or a C-store and pull up to get gasoline, there's got to be electricity to run the pumps that run the gasoline from the tanks underground into the, they call them blenders, not pumps. They used to be pumps, but they're blenders. And you stick the nozzle in your gas tank and you pump it. You got to have energy. And then, of course, you've got to have stuff in the tanks to pump into your car. Biden, we are told, first time I heard about it was late last night. He has almost totally depleted all of our strategic oil reserves. He's selling it to his buddies around the world. He sold 6 million barrels of oil out of the strategic oil reserve to China, other countries. He did release a bunch, sold it around the United States, and he did it for political purposes. We know that. He wanted, he was getting blasted about the price of gas at the pump, diesel at the pump. Pricing, as you just heard this guy Nick Loris say, it's always about supply and demand. When there's more supply, pricing on anything goes down. When there's lower supply, prices go up. So Joe Biden, he sold a bunch of our emergency oil reserves to the oil companies that operate service station chains. And we watched as the price of gas went down a little bit. It went down because of supply and demand. There wasn't quite the demand for oil during the late summer that it was anticipated. People didn't go as much. And so the prices stayed kind of low. That's a good thing, but now here we are. Florida, nowhere in Florida, almost nowhere in Florida can you get the gasoline that you really want. Hopefully by the end of today, Friday, it will be better. But it's not. And what's blinking up here is the empty sign at the strategic oil reserves. Now let me tell you where that all came from. When Donald Trump took office... Barack Obama and Joe Biden had totally depleted our strategic oil reserves. So what did President Trump did? At a point during his presidency, the price of oil went down to the $30 range a barrel. Think about that. That's only happened in my lifetime once or twice before that. And so, out of the clear blue, what did Trump say? He went to Congress and said, we need to refill our strategic oil reserves when the price of gasoline is so low. We need to do it now. Oil's in the high $30 a barrel. Just to compare right now, it's right at $100 a barrel. So, he did it. And then here we go. Joe Biden becomes president. We didn't use them. We didn't touch them one time during the four years of the Trump administration, other than to open the lid to pour more oil into the reserve tanks. 
Biden's been in office less than two years, and he's almost totally depleted our strategic oil reserves. This is just sad. I mean, this is a whole process that I'm going to talk to you about. That was the first piece of it. Let's just talk about Joe Biden's attack on fossil fuel. And it is an all-out attack. When all this began here at TNN Live and in writing, I wrote several editorials that have been published on truthnewsnet.org about this and the insanity of the way the Democrats and leadership in Congress have been manipulating our energy and everything that goes along with it to weaponize it politically against anybody that disagrees with their climate change, climate activist ideologies. And it's hurting the American people dramatically, not just in our wallets, but in our energy availability. I asked this question from the very beginning. If going to renewable energies, if it is a feasible plan that will work, what is the plan? What kind of climate change plan did Joe Biden bring to the Oval Office when he came to the Oval Office as president? I don't know. I haven't seen one. Have you? If you've got one, I'd love for you to pass it along to me. Uh, Text or email it to me. Just email dan at truthnewsnet.org. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. And if it's nothing more than a link where you can give it to me and I can go find the plan for the transition away from uh, fossil fuels in combination with renewable energies like wind and solar, I'd love to look at it. But I don't think there is one. So what did Joe Biden do? You know this, the first day he began a concentrated attack against the fossil fuel industry. And he, with his actions, raised the price of gasoline at the pump more than double within months of him taking office. And it's remained really, really high. It's come down a little bit now. With Ian out there, it's going to go back up over the next few days, you can bet. But it doesn't have to be what it is. He's just basically gone to war with the oil companies, these evil oil companies that uh, before he's through being president, I will promise you he will be begging them to get back to doing what they were doing before he took office. Now, here's what I want to get at. I'm a business guy. I'm an entrepreneur. I've had owned several companies. Anytime you get into a business operation, if you're going to be successful, you better have some concrete plans, a game plan for what you're going to do. And inside that game plan are all the details that will accommodate your getting to the point that you're going to or you want to with this new company you started. That's just fundamental economics. When I started my companies, I had a plan. I wrote a skeleton plan. I actually had a plan with different bullet points, even timing in the foundation and its growth going forward, a plan for handling growth, a plan for handling problems that we didn't even know would hit us after the fact because we had never been there before. 
Where's the plan from the climate change activists? They want us to go totally 100% away from fossil fuel. We're 90% dependent upon fossil fuel. That's what we've been for decades. Their plan was, and we're living in the middle of it now, to flip the switch and turn off fossil fuels. We don't have a plan. We're just going to get rid of that evil gas and diesel. It's destroying our planet, which they have no science. It says that, but hey, it's political pontificating. You don't need facts, right? You don't need evidence. No plan. So how are you going to replace fossil fuels? Well, we've, we've, we're, you know, we're giving, we're giving people a great tax break if they buy electric cars. Well, what's the furthest one can drive an electric car before having to fill up with electricity again? One of General Motors vehicles, they're bragging about it because they can go, they can go 73 miles before they have to recharge the batteries. 73 miles. I know there are some that are better than that, but my point is, what I'm illustrating, there is no way, there is no way, it's, if, it's totally impossible to run our nation today without fossil fuel. Now, everybody knows Fossil fuels create some pollution, no doubt about it. Although the United States over the last decade has reduced its carbon emissions percentage-wise more than any other country on the planet. So we're headed in the right direction before Joe kicked the chair out from under the fossil fuel industry. He doesn't have a plan. It's just stop fossil fuel. We can ask a ton of questions. Well, what about this? What about that? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? Joe's being asked that. He doesn't have the answers. And the people that handle him don't have the answers. And so here we are. We're mired in an economy that is failing a little more every day. And the failure is driven in large part by having no leadership and leadership having no plans for any kind of transition away from fossil fuel other than turn the switches off. I just talk about a couple of things. How many cars do you think there are in the United States of America that have to have gasoline or diesel to run? How many do you think? How many trucks? How many 18-wheeler trucks? How many trains? How many ships? 99% of all that I just mentioned have to have fuel to operate. And now, 99.5% are operating using carbon fossil fuel. What are you going to replace it with, President? What's the transition plan? How many years is it going to take to transition away from fossil fuel dependency to phase out these hundreds of millions of vehicles that rely on fossil fuel, that operate on fossil fuel, to flip them over, if there's some magic way to do it, to electric, and there's not a 
miracle way to flip any of them over yet. There could be. And it would be nice if somebody had invented that process and had been refining it and working with our federal government and handing the plan, that part of the plan, to Joe Biden so he could say, look, we're going to get rid of fossil fuels because of the environmental damning that it's doing to all of us and our future, yada, yada, yada. And here's our plan. We've got these fossil fuel burning cars. We've come up with a plan to put in an electric engine in these cars and transition away from fossil fuel. He didn't do that. There's no plan to replace them. We have no way to move our goods and services around the nation. We don't have that. There's not enough electric vehicle capacity to do that. Ships, trains, cars, trucks, it's not there. It's impossible. Nobody's even said that now. No Democrat, no Republican has gotten up and said, what you're talking about is impossible. They should have started there. Fundamentally, it's impossible. If I'm wrong, tell me how I'm wrong. Work backwards. Give me to your plan. So they have no plan to change our transportation, our commercial transportation. There's no transition plan. Secondly, they're doing away with fossil fuels. What about fossil fuels? Well, you know, we use gasoline and diesel. Well, let me just tell you something. Joe Biden, his minions have no idea the products that come from petroleum that we across the board in every aspect of our lives rely on. Have you ever thought about that? Let me just tell you this. I'm sitting here looking at a list of 6,000 items that come from petroleum. And I'm going to do this. I've got a list of 6,000. I'm going to give you, right now, I'm going to name 144 of them that without oil, we'll never have. Are you ready? Solvents, ink, upholstery, bicycle tires, dresses, cassettes, motorcycle helmets, CD players, curtains, vitamin capsules, dashboards, putty, percolators, skis, tool racks, mops, umbrellas, roofing, denture adhesive, speakers, tennis rackets, nylon rope, water pipes, shampoo, guitar strings, antifreeze, clothes, combs, vaporizers, heart valves, enamel, anesthetics, dentures, cold cream, fan belts, refrigerators, golf balls, car enamel, movie film, model cars, artificial turf, pillows, crayons, balloons, CDs and DVDs, toothbrushes, football helmets, luggage, wheels, hand lotion, candles, rubber cement, plastic wood, linoleum, toilet seats, yarn, slacks, car battery cases, TV cabinets, life jackets, dyes, cortisone, antihistamines, food preservatives, faucet washers, caulking, dishwasher parts, tires, sports car bodies, sweaters, floor wax, diesel fuel, motor oil, 
ballpoint pens, boats, nail polish, golf balls, toolboxes, petroleum jelly, antiseptics, basketballs, purses, deodorant, pantyhose, rubbing alcohol, shag rugs, epoxy, insect repellent, fertilizers, fishing rods, ice cube trays, electric blankets, fishing boots, trash bags, roller skates, paint rollers, aspirin, awnings, ice chest, paint brushes, sunglasses, parachutes, dishes, artificial limbs, folding doors, contact lenses, shaving cream, toothpaste, gasoline, ammonia, drinking cups, hair curlers, bandages, cameras, telephones, tents, detergents, footballs, eyeglasses, safety glasses, shower curtains, surfboards, house paint, dice, glycerin, synthetic rubber, lipstick, hair coloring, oil filters, paint, electrician's tapes, linings, refrigerant, shoelace aglets, shoes, soap, clothesline, transparent tape, shoe polish, perfumes, fishing lures, insecticides, football cleats, and bearing grease. That's 144. 144 out of 6,000. Some of these can probably be altered in some way or fashion to not use petroleum in them. A huge majority of them cannot be. So basically what we're saying, what he's saying, President Biden and all of the climate religious hacks are saying It doesn't matter if you can't do with any of this stuff that technology has brought us. Forget about that. We got to do away with fossil fuel. It's destroying the world. And at the same time, they're telling us our goal, our objective is get the average temperature on Earth, get it down one and a half degrees by the end of the century. So we need to give up all these things that I just read to you and 5,900 more because somebody, won't be me, probably won't be my kids, is going to live in a world that is one degree, one and a half degrees cooler than it is now. It's lunacy. It's sheer lunacy. Don't even think about the jobs, the employment, the long-term benefits and health care benefits and uh, the ease in transportation that we have now. And it's going away. It's diminishing every day. They are removing incentives for development, inventing. Nobody wants to move forward in any part of the fossil fuel industry. Nobody's doing any research, looking for new products, to make our lives better, they obviously have in the past 6,000 items today that we take for granted came from testing, trying something, inventing things, using fossil fuels and fossil fuel products to run the ship. Is this not the stupidest idea that any politician has ever come up with? I challenge you, tell me another one that's stupider 
than bowing to the gods of climate change and destruction, destruction of our fossil fuel industry. Hi, this is Jack, founder of Jack in the Box. Is the caller there? Mr. Box, Douglas Gopperts from Burger Week magazine. Oh, hey, Doug. Doug's a respected fast food critic. I recently dined on your sourdough Jack combo. And? Perfection. The cheese, the jumbo patty, the golden sourdough bread, the french fries. Bravo. Well, thank you. However, I found the dessert a bit dry. It doesn't come with dessert. The candy. The white, round candy with the happy face. Was it wearing a scarf? Yes, I believe it was. Rosy cheeks? Fuzzy earmuffs? Yes, that's it. Douglas, you ate a holiday ball. <gasps> We're giving one away free to customers who buy a sourdough jack combo. But they're not for dessert. They're for antennas. Or a pencil. Right. Well, that's going to improve your score dramatically. Excellent. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding cap and label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. Oh, oh, are we at the gas station? Oh. Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. <laughs> Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. When a governor can tell a president, no rally in my state, it's time for some definitive truth. Here with the goods, again, Dan Newman. During the break, James Posey sent me this. God put that stuff on this planet for us to use and improve our lives. Who are they to tell us that we can't advance our lives while we are here? Kathy sent another one and said, well, at least we couldn't fly Air Force One across the oceans to embarrass us as our president speaks to foreign leaders. Hmm, both of those are really sharp. <laughs> Obviously, folks, there was no planning. There is no planning. There's no plan in place, a transition of any kind. And they obviously felt like they could flip the fossil fuel switch to off and that somehow, miraculously, maybe waving a wand, maybe Joe Behar has got a witch's brew that would work. We could all drink it and make that transition. Maybe we could uh, uh, excrete <laughs> energy sources that are renewable, right? I don't know. But this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in politics. I'm serious. I've never seen anything that even comes close to this. There is no substance in any of this. 
I guess the best they do is what Pete Buttigieg said, hey, we're going to give everybody that wants to buy an electric car a tax (laughs) write-off. And of course, when he announced that, and it was going to be, I think, $3,000, the next day, I'm not lying, General Motors raised the price of their electric vehicles across the board, (laughs) $4,000. Oh my gosh. This is a crazy world in which we live. Got a couple more things I want you to listen to about uh, Florida, what's going on. Representative Kat Kamek, she represents a district down in Florida, and this morning early, she went live to talk and kind of give the skinny, the hands-on, face-to-face skinny of what's going on down there. Joining us now, Florida Congresswoman Kat Kamek. Congresswoman, we're so sorry about what's going on in your state of Florida. Your take on this. I mean, energy is so important now for your home state of Florida. But this is about getting more supply. What's your take on what's going on? Uh, Well, thanks for having me back, Liz. And thank you for your thoughts and prayers and everyone for our our home state of Florida. It's a tragedy, truly. But, you know, all I keep hearing out of this administration is more political doublespeak. They they seem to think that just the same way that money uh, magically appears in in this administration off of the money tree that they just keep spending to the tune of $8 trillion, they're doing the exact same thing with energy. If we are going to rebuild, and when I say rebuild, we are going to have to actually rebuild Fort Myers, Naples. Uh, Southwest Florida has been totally devastated. We're seeing effects all across the state. We need to have energy. But this administration's assault on our domestic energy production has absolutely crippled us. We're still seeing an average gas price of $6 a gallon in California. And to insinuate that there's going to be price gouging, that would have to be at the most hyper-local level. And again, they seem to lack a basic understanding of economics. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, I mean, oil pros warned gas and oil prices about to go up again because of supply depletion and tight supplies. The oil pros are saying at the current rate, the White House is selling more oil out of the strategic reserves than the production of most medium-sized OPEC countries like Algeria or Angola. We're selling twice as much per day than we're producing out of Alaska. Let's listen to Edward Lawrence here take this on down in Washington. Watch this. Uh, in the aftermath, uh, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve is at the lowest level since 37 years, and you said you've set aside some, some gas for Florida. Is there a concern that the reserve is not high enough now to handle the aftermath of this emergency and other hurricanes that could come? Um, I don't have any concerns at this point that we're going to have the ability to handle the, the fuel needs that we're going to need in Florida. We will continue to assess after the storm passes to see what the impacts are. We'll make sure that we're putting measures in place to support any any gaps that we might identify. season, you think you're covered? It all depends on what the impacts from this storm might bring, um, and so we need to do those assessments after the storm passes. What do you think, Congresswoman? It just blows my mind, Liz. You know, this the Strategic Petroleum Reserve is at its lowest rate since 1984. I was born in 1988. If that gives you any indication that this is absolutely wild what we are seeing. This is absolutely unacceptable. It's a national security concern. And the fact that we continue to release oil at a time when Americans are struggling and we're heading into winter and fuel costs are going to go up. Now we have a major natural disaster on our shores. This is ludicrous. So what happens? I don't understand. I mean, uh, you know, you, you, Tim Stewart, the head of the U.S. Oil and Gas Association, he's saying this is the first time in history that the Strategic Reserve 
uh, has been used as a campaign credit card to buy down yes. political risk in the midterms. That's what he's saying. That we, This is for hurricanes. It's not for bad poll numbers. Absolutely. No, he's 100% correct. We're six weeks out from a midterm election in which, across the board, Democrats are losing. So they're trying to buy goodwill and favor with voters in anticipation of a total red wave. And they're doing it at the expense of our national security. So I couldn't agree more that this move, reducing the amount that we have in our strategic petroleum reserve, it's nothing more than a campaign antic to get people to say that they're actually doing something. But as we know, this administration has created these crises one at a time, and they have fumbled the ball every step of the way. Congresswoman, they can't be trusted. what does your state need right now? What does it need from the federal government right now? So right now, I have to say that the coordination between the federal, state, and local level has been incredible. Governor Ron DeSantis has been leading the charge every step of the way. At this point, now that the storm has actually passed, we still have to be aware that the flooding that's going to occur in the next few days and weeks as the storm surge keeps coming up the intercoastal and beyond, we are going to still have effects. We need to get our grid back in place. We need to get the basics and we need to find uh, housing for people who have been displaced. Congresswoman Kamek, we'll be with you in Florida every step of the way covering the story. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's it's good to Thank have you, you on. We, um, we heard from Joy Behar, that expert who just blasted Governor DeSantis, basically making co- a comparison to his climate change denial. He really didn't deny anything about climate change. He just asked for the science. Show me the science. Uh, I'm not willing to take the word to change 90% of my life based upon what some I don't know, talk show host has to say their opinion and try to make that be the Bible. I'm just not willing to do that. Well, DeSantis, he's been under fire a lot down there in Florida, and we're just in the beginning of stages of uh, rebuilding what Hurricane Ian destroyed. And so yesterday, when you know it, he gets up in front of a crowd, crowd of reporters asking questions that he answers, And this one idiot decided to go on the air, knowing that he was being heard when he asked his question, and he wanted to be able to take a shot at the governor and maybe get a little name value out of it. FEMA Administrator Chris Wells said today that she acknowledged concerns that uh, Florida, as was said, lacks response to the storm so far, and that... Whoa, 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 whoa. Give me a break. That is nonsense. Stop politicizing, okay? Stop it. We declared a state of emergency when this thing wasn't even formed. We've had people in here. You've had counties doing. Uh, they've done a lot of hard work. And, and honestly, you're trying to attack me, I get. But, like, you're attacking these other people who've worked very hard. And so so that's just totally false. Saying that Florida wasn't prepared. You've been here. You know the facts. Uh, what do you make of that uh, that sort of push to, to try and make this something that's not real? Well, we shouldn't be surprised that the media will use any excuse. I mean, they would gladly use death and destruction uh, to take out Ron DeSantis. I mean, he is enemy number one for sort of the mainstream machine right now because he's an effective politician. And by the way, the most effective politician in the world, if we could have a fictitious politician in a magical fantasy land, that person would not be able to stop every act of God. What I can tell you on the ground here is even in the last couple of days when it looked like the hurricane was going to directly hit Miami at first, uh, first, you know, going to Home Depot, going to the stores around here, 
there were lines everywhere. People were respectful and nice and helping out each other and helping get propane in cars and all of those things. And by every measure of everything I've seen, and I have a, a decent amount of insider contacts here in Florida, the, the DeSantis administration has done absolutely everything possible yep. well in advance of all of this. The cleanup is gonna be swift. Hopefully we get that, that money from the federal government, but Florida is gonna do everything absolutely possible, but they're just gonna try to find, they're gonna try to find one little slip up, one little moment and they'll go for it. But that's why DeSantis's answer was so perfect. Cause he said, look, I know you're trying to get me, but there are all these other good people working here. That's the right attitude. Cause this is, it's not about him. This is about a state that needs some help right now. We're gonna do a lot of it internally, but we'll need some external as well. I'll tell you this. If you don't somehow help, when I mean help, I'm not talking about praying, just praying for them. And you should be praying for everybody in Florida, including the leadership there. You don't want them to fail. You want them to do a good thing because it's for the Florida people. If you're not willing to step up to the plate and do something, even if it's going online, giving money to the Red Cross Samaritan's Purse or some of these other organizations that are down there, volunteers working their butts off to get rid of the water and help Floridians get back to normal as best as possible, you don't have the right to say anything in dissent. Joy Behar, she has no right. She makes a lot of money co-hosting The View. I have no idea, but it's seven-figure money, I'm sure. And that's a lot of money for a failed comedian, which is what she was when she got this gig. Did you know that? A comedian. I would dare, wouldn't dare to go watch her do a stand-up comedy set because of that screeching voice that she has. And I'm sure when she was out on the circuit, she was, whatever her success was, that success was based on the fact that she'd get up and make fun of people. Anyway, she doesn't have the right to criticize Governor DeSantis and somehow put this hurricane on him for the fact that he's a climate change denier. He's never denied climate change. He made that very clear. He addressed her yesterday and he said, I'm not a denier. I just want to follow the science. Remember Dr. Fauci told us for two years, follow the science. It applies to weather events just like it does to medical situations. People will try to jump on top of other people that are having issues to somehow get some brownie points for themselves. And speaking of brownie points, a young pregnant Idaho woman sat in her car recently in a McDonald's parking lot in Ontario, Oregon, nervously talking on her phone. Her partner pressured her to get rid of the baby, and now she was having a telehealth conference with somebody from Planned Parenthood who prescribed a two-medicine two chemical abortion. That's collectively called the abortion pill. This is the story, a true story, of a client at Stanton Healthcare. The girl was told where to pick up the pills, advised to take the first medicine while still in Oregon, and if she went home to Idaho, she could go back to Oregon to take the next medication. Abortion is illegal in Idaho, except in cases of rape, incest, or when the life of the mother is threatened. 
Telehealth prescriptions are not allowed since a trigger law took effect on the 24th of August after the Supreme Court overturning of Roe v. Wade. Shortly after taking that first pill, this girl had regrets. She changed her mind. She searched online for a way to reverse the pill, and she found Stanton Healthcare, which is an Idaho-based, life-affirming group of medical clinics that specialize in unexpected pregnancy care. Stanton often opens clinics next to abortion providers. The girl was prescribed abortion reversal medicine, which, when taken early enough after the first abortion pill, can reverse the process. Today, her baby's heart is still beating. She feels empowered to handle her situation in a way that doesn't break her heart. There's a term out there being used, abortion tourism, Swindle said. But you know what? Tourism can be fun. Tourism is a very soft word. This is the trafficking of abortion. This is like a drug cartel. Tourism isn't illegal. This is potentially criminal by Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood, according to Swindle, is skirting state law by luring women out of Idaho to get abortions in Oregon, specifically in the border town of Ontario, where the multi-million dollar nonprofit plans to start an abortion clinic. Abortion, it used to be only surgical, but not too long ago, in the year 2000, the FDA approved the abortion pill, and it's grown in popularity. In 2011, just 24% of U.S. abortions were carried out through prescription medications. That was in 2011. In 2020, for the first time, more than half of abortions, 54%, were medication abortions. What can be enticing for women is the narrative and the marketing that is just popping a pill. No big deal. So much easier. Even though that's 100% not true, Swindle said. It's cheaper for Planned Parenthood. The profit margins are much better for Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. They don't have to pay a doctor to go in and do the surgical abortion. They don't have to have nurses that are doing pre- and post-op. I mean, this is treating women like chattel, property, to do such a serious procedure by just having them take a pill and endure everything on their own for two to three days at a minimum. Medical abortions, also known as chemical abortions, take longer than surgical abortions, days instead of minutes, giving women more time to reconsider. Chemical abortions are often done alone, in secret, at home or in a college dorm room. It was the worst pain of my life, one WebMD review said. It worked, but horrible labor pain, which is unbearable. Although some reported milder pain, others reported intense vomiting, diarrhea, in addition to pain. One reviewer said she lay on the bathroom floor crying from pain, and she passed out. I would have rather shot myself in the foot twice than go through this, she said. Hands down, the worst pain I have ever gone through in my life. So when taking the abortion pill, first a woman takes a drug called mifepristone. This blocks the woman's progesterone, which is needed to sustain a pregnancy. The second medicine, taken a day or two later, is misoprostol, 
which causes intense cramping and bleeding, forcing the uterus to expel the baby. The abortion reversal protocol is a large dose of progesterone taken as early in the process as possible. And sadly, it doesn't always work. There's even part of the medical community that's come out and said that this don't work. And it's a complete lie. They didn't factor in that. Now, women who have two to three days to endure an abortion procedure and women would be changing their minds. Women are scared out of their minds. They used to go in for an abortion. The procedure itself, 20 minutes. And there was no opportunity for women to change their mind. Now it's two to three days. Women are going through this by themselves and they go, oh my gosh, I regret that I took that pill. I don't want to hurt my baby. This is horrible. This doesn't feel right. Can somebody help me? And the only people to help are centers like Stanton Healthcare. And by the way, the reversal is a legitimate medical process. It's available at crisis pregnancy centers across the country. Swindle said this. Now, let me be clear. There's a little bitty window of time that this can be done. It's a very specific window. Once a woman has started the abortion process, there's still a window where the process can begin. Sometimes women have waited too long. The abortion has completed itself or it's past the point that any reversal will work. And it's heartbreaking because these women have oftentimes made a decision they regret. Let me just suggest this to you. If you know somebody that's facing this, it's never easy. They, they try, the abortion purveyors, they try to make it be like, no big deal. You know, you take a pill, two days later you take another one, and bam, it's over. That's not the way it works. Planned Parenthood is promoting it desperately because it's so much cheaper for them. And they're in this, regardless of what they say. Everything, everything, when it's looked at, not even with a magnifying glass, if you just talk to people that work there, it's all about money. It's all about money. And to kill babies, oh my gosh, you got to really do a good job of convincing the people that are going to be paying you to slaughter an unborn baby. You got to work hard to convince them. We could spend all day on this, but we're not going to. I just wanted to, to hear, hear, let you hear a story of a couple of these people that went through this so that you or anybody you may know, when they go through this, you can maybe point them in the right direction. So in some of this leftist insanity, the um, gender pronouns are becoming more and more and more complicated and more and more divisive. CNBC, that's an NBC financial network, leftist financial network. They scrambled the other day to use the correct pronouns to cover the trans army officer who was indicted for allegedly handing medical information to Russia. U.S. Army Major Jamie Lee Henry and Anna Gabrielin are married. In 2015, Henry became the first known active duty U.S. Army officer to come out as transgender, according to the Baltimore Banner. CNBC struggled, however, to describe the couple changing pronouns several times. Here's what they said. A U.S. Army major doctor and his physician wife 
have been charged with a criminal plot to give confidential medical information related to members of the U.S. military and their spouses to the Russian government. That's what the original key point read. The point was then updated to say, quote, a U.S. Army major doctor and their physician wife before a second change to a U.S. Army major and her physician wife It's according to pictures posted to Twitter by Jordan Chamberlain, who used to work for the Daily Caller. CNBC wasn't the only one trying to get their pronoun usage right. Reuters' Sarah Lynch had to clarify on Twitter her use of he or is pronouns in her story on this same person, Henry. Some folks asked me if the story on the ex-Army major misgendered the defendant. Today in court, the defendant used the gender pronoun he slash his. That's a tweet from Lynch. We realized that in 2015, the defendant came out as trans female. But given the fact the defendant identified as male today, we use that pronoun, also use the indictment, and mention the prior interviews identifying as female in our update. Both were charged with one count of conspiracy to violate the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, that's HIPAA, for disclosing medical records of U.S. service members and their families, seven counts of actually disclosing the information on August 31st of this year. Henry and Gabriellen were approached by an FBI undercover agent in Baltimore posing as an affiliate of the Russian embassy in D.C. on August 17th. The couple offered to hand over health records to prove they had access to sensitive information. Henry repeatedly told the agent the couple could supply information until the United States actually declares war against Russia. That's from the indictment. Wow. So there's other stuff that's going on, other controversial things. There's some big news today coming out of Congress. Jim Jordan, man, I like him. Jim Jordan, he's in leadership in the Republican Party, serves on several very important House committees where he is the uh, minority rep in those particular committees. He's a lightning rod, and he's stuck his nose in something else. We've got Congressman Jordan and all that information coming up. Don't go anywhere. Back after this. Real truth. Real news. TNN. The Truth News Network. Grab an ice-cold can of Celsius and stay active and energized all day. Celsius is better for you energy, made with premium ingredients, zero sugar, and seven essential vitamins, with no high-fructose corn syrup, no aspartame, no preservatives, and no artificial colors or flavors. Celsius is just the essential energy you need to keep you fueled and active all day. Celsius, essential energy. Live fit. Now find Celsius at Celsius.com or a retailer near you. We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're at Pilgrim, please make a decision. The I'm crazy hungry, so she's got to be too. Slide through the Mickey D's drive-thru. 
to get a Big Mac. Right after I order her quarter pounder with cheese, cause I don't know everything, but I do know what my girl's feeling hangry meal. Get it at McDonald's when you buy one of your faves, like the Big Mac, quarter pounder with cheese, 10 piece chicken McNuggets or filet of fish, and get another for just a dollar. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid on item of equal or lesser value. New home ownership can be a real eye opener, but it's the perfect time to look into Homeowner 101 from the Home Depot. Free live streaming workshops taught by expert associates now at homedepot.com/workshops. You'll find indoor and outdoor workshops, even home systems workshops. Plus, you'll get the know-how you need to care for your biggest investment. Master the basics at Homeowner 101 only at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Register now at homedepot.com/workshops. So everybody knows who Congressman Jim Jordan is. He's a firebrand from Ohio, a former, I guess he was a college coach, maybe a high school coach. I, I forget which sport it was, but he is out front and center, and he's always pretty loud, and he gets into it with his Democrat counterparts in some of these uh, committee hearings. This is a kind of deep subject. And I won't get way into it. I just want to show you exactly some of the stuff that's going on in Congress that we never see or hear about and what Jim Jordan is due to fight this particular stuff. Yesterday, he spoke against what's called a bipartisan bill. And when Democrats call a bill bipartisan, what does that mean? How does bipartisan get defined in that? Here's what they say. If they get one Republican, one, to agree with them on any piece of legislation, that means in their world it's justified because there's a Republican on board to call it a bipartisan bill. This is one of those kinds of things. The bill they're trying to pass is the Merger Filing Fee Modernization Act of 2022. Now, what is that? The government charges, the federal government charges fees to companies that are doing things, forming, especially if they're going to be interstate or even international companies. There's money in it for the governor. The bill was filed by a Democrat, Representative Joe Nugisi of Colorado. It passed in the House 242 to 184. 203 Democrats, 39 Republicans supported the bill. 168 Republicans, 16 Democrats said no. Now, what's this bill going to do if it's signed into law? It'll increase fees that companies pay to the Department of Justice and the Federal Trade Commission, raising those agencies, listen to this, $1.4 billion over the next five years. Now, here's what Jim Jordan said, and then I'll explain and we'll move on. The package before us today, he said, does nothing but empower the Department of Justice and the Federal Trade Commission. Why would we support more funding for unaccountable officials in the Biden administration, particularly these two agencies, Department of Justice, in light of what we've seen from them over the past several months? Jordan asked that question in a floor speech. 
And this is the point I want to bring out. This is an example of exactly what Democrats live for. They love to tax and spend. You've heard that term over and over and over again, tax and spend, tax and spend. To them, doing something like if they're successful getting this merger filing fee modernization act of 2022 signed into law, what that means to them, hey, we got our hands on another $1.4 billion that'll be coming in over the next five years. It's like a piggy bank. It's money that's not allocated for any special thing. We'll be able to attach it to all kinds of spending bills. We'll be able to pay back some of our donors, our special interest groups, the ones that are getting us all these votes. Yeah, we can do a quid pro quo. They get us votes. We get them $1.4 billion. Hey, hey, hey. That's the way government works. And I wanted you to see exactly how it happens. And just imagine what we just told you. This was yesterday. How many other instances just like this happen? And we never know about them. Nobody talks about them. They're spending boondoggles. We're in a situation. This just blows my mind. We have a group of people that are sitting up there in the Capitol every day. They have no concept of what they're doing to the American public when they pass these spending bills that are in the trillion. You heard Representative Kat Kamek in that um, soundbite that we played from her about her state in Florida. You heard her talking about the money, the money that is spent. Nobody is held accountable for any of it. It's nothing more than a piggy bank for whatever party is in charge. And this is not exclusively a Democrat issue. When the GOP has been in charge in the past, they've spent as much or more money than Democrats do, and they tie all kinds of things into bills before them that a huge number of lawmakers want to pass. They blackmailed. You're not going to get my vote unless you include this in that spending bill. And it happens every day in D.C., People like Jim Jordan, they're saying enough's enough. There are really good people in Congress that don't espouse that ideal, but there are more that think it's okay than there are that don't like it. They don't like it. You know, we were talking about the Petroleum Reserve, the Strategic Petroleum Preserve. Man, I'm tongue-tied. Yesterday, Representative Buddy Carter, who's a Republican from Georgia, he addressed this thing and he said that now we're going to find ourselves in a situation where we're probably going to need the strategic petroleum reserve for what it's actually designed for. But the reserve has been drained by the president. So Jackie DeAngelis was the host on the show he was appearing on. And Jackie said, obviously supplies are going to be needed in Florida. This is the kind of thing that we keep the Strategic Petroleum Reserve for emergencies within the country that are as a result of a natural disaster. If the situation worsens in Georgia and the Carolinas, and all of a sudden we find ourselves needing more supplies than anticipated when the administration and the president have allocated those supplies, essentially to just bring the price of gas down as a result of their high inflation, 
your thoughts on where we stand as a country going to this? And Carter responded, well, that's a great point. That's what the reserves are for, for emergency situations, not to bring down the price of gas so that you can bring down inflation, which is what the Biden administration has used it for. Now we find ourselves in a situation, perhaps we are going to need it. You can bet your bippy. It's going to be necessary. They're going to be dying for oil and gas from the top to the bottom of Florida in the next few days, and the government won't have it. Thanks to Joe Biden. Now, yesterday, one of the eeriest things that I've ever heard of happened in the Congress, and it has to do with fentanyl. Fentanyl, as you know, is probably the deadliest medication on earth. When it's abused, it's poison. I mean, literally poison. More than 100,000 Americans are dying from drug overdoses and poisonings every year. Many of those now are linked to fentanyl. Knowing all that, yesterday, House Democrats blocked a plan that would crack down on fentanyl flowing almost exclusively from the United States-Mexico border into American communities. They even blocked consideration for Michelle Fishback's Halt All Lethal Trafficking of Fentanyl Act to permanently classify fentanyl-related substances as Schedule One of the Controlled Substances Act. If this change happened, it would make it permanently illegal to sell fentanyl-related substances. Back in April, House Democrats blocked consideration of similar legislation that would have cracked down on fentanyl-related substances. Consistent blockage of bills to combat fentanyl overdoses and poisoning, it comes as the CDC has warned parents to carry naloxone in case their child is overdosing on fentanyl. Now, why would the Democrats do this? Let me just tell you this. You probably don't know this, but fentanyl is really a good medication when it's used properly. Have you been put to sleep any time recently? It's used in almost every, along with other drugs, when they put you in the la-la land for surgery. Over the last two years, I've been put to sleep six times, working on my back. Every time, the anesthesiologist has a cocktail that includes a specific amount of fentanyl. It's not the stuff that comes across the border, thank God, but it's still fentanyl. Everything, almost everything, has a good purpose. And it's not a bad thing unless and until men and women weaponize it to use it for criminal activities. And fentanyl is. Fentanyl is. This week, 220 House Democrats block consideration for that bill. And I just, I just can't even comprehend it. The warning is in response to concerns that the Mexican drug cartels trafficking most all of the China-manufactured fentanyl into the U.S. are targeting our kids. How are they doing it? They package tens of thousands of fentanyl pills in Skittles and Nerds candy bags 
And they do that along with vape pens. Recently in Phoenix, law enforcement investigators seized nearly 1 million fentanyl pills in a stash house. Just 2 milligrams of fentanyl can kill one person. Back in April, the CDC reported more than 100,000 Americans died from drug overdoses in the prior 12 months. Two-thirds of those deaths were from fentanyl poisoning. In Ohio alone, 81% of drug overdose deaths were linked to fentanyl two years ago. This is an increase from 2019, 2018, 2017, when fentanyl was linked about 76 to 71% of drug overdose deaths. Months ago, DEA official Ann Milgram said there was enough fentanyl trafficked into American communities last year through the southern border to kill every American three times. Some Senate Republicans have suggested transferring use of the CDC's Title 42 authority at the southern border, which allows officials to quickly deport many illegals from a Chinese coronavirus function to a combating fentanyl maneuver. The only reason I brought this to you is I wanted to ask you the question, why would Democrats block this bill? Are they greenlighting the continued use of fentanyl to hurt and kill Americans, especially young Americans? Because if we don't stop it, it's not only going to continue, it's going to get worse. The love of money is the root of all evil. That's what's driving the boat for the manufacturing and distribution of all illegal drugs, especially fentanyl. It's dirt cheap to make, folks. It's really inexpensive to make it. And it is the most deadly drug out there that people can get their hands on very easily. So we're in an election cycle. We haven't even talked about elections today. You probably like that. Somebody that's um, really struggling for a Senate um to be renewed as the senator, one of the two from Arizona, is Mark Kelly. He's a Democrat. You remember you remember Gabby Giffords, the uh, member of the House of Representatives, was actually in leadership, Republican leadership, as a matter of fact, and she was giving a speech in Arizona, and she was shot. It did not kill her, thankfully, but it left her mentally impaired. She had to leave Congress. Mark Kelly, her husband, who was an astronaut at one time, he decided to run, and he ran as a Democrat, was elected, and he's up for re-election. It was pointed out by his opponent in this race, Blake Masters, that Senator Mark Kelly, Gabby Gifford's husband, has voted for $50 billion of aid to Ukraine. But he has voted no on every issue that comes before the Senate that has anything of tightening down on our southern border or spending money to make the Arizona southern border into Mexico safe. He's voted against every one of them. $50 billion for Ukraine. Nothing for our southern border. He served as one of the 72 senators to approve a stopgap spending measure that contained more than $12 billion more in aid to Ukraine. To date, this runs the total up to $65 billion in aid to Ukraine. 
as they continue Ukraine to fight Russia. Masters, Kelly's opponent, who hopes to oust Kelly during the midterm, said that Kelly has neglected the border while voting for more aid every time it comes up to Ukraine. Mark Kelly has voted to send more than $50 billion to Ukraine, but he can't find $10 billion to secure our own border. Kelly's voted many times against border security. I don't understand it. Arizonans don't understand it, but he has. Kelly's reportedly voted three times in 2021 against three measures to ensure border security, voted three times against Title 42, voted against hiring 18,000 new Border Patrol agents before any new IRS agents are hired. Masters, his opponent, as opposed to his opponent Kelly, falls much more in line with Donald Trump's America First foreign policy vision. The Arizona conservative said he would join Ohio State Republican candidate J.D. Vance, Senator Josh Hawley, in an America First caucus in the U.S. Senate. So in an op-ed for Compact Magazine, Josh Hawley said that too many Republicans have forgotten about the Republican Party's non-interventionist foreign policy heritage. What America needs is not nation-building, but nationalism. Hawley nails it, Blake Masters said in reaction to Hawley's op-ed. Isn't it, it's not fun and it's not funny, but isn't it interesting to watch these politicians? They run so hard, they're so dramatic in the things they're against and the things they are for. When they're standing up in front of you, they're looking at you as a voter, not as a voter. They know you have a vote. We all have one vote every election that comes up. But they look at you as a resource for them if and when they get elected. I could tell you story after story in my own personal life when candidates for various offices come around. And I was the CEO of my company for 32 years. And uh, I was I was well known in our community. And so everybody that ran for any office, they wanted to come by and talk to me. I will never forget one. Didn't know him. John Bell Edwards and his wife. John Bell Edwards was a uh, pretty much a career politician. Excuse me. He was a, he was in a high up like a major or colonel in the National Guard. He served in the Louisiana State House of Representatives, I think, for several terms. But I'd never met him. He was in South Louisiana when he ran for governor. His boy. Uh, boyhood friend, his best friend, is a good friend of mine. We went to college together at Louisiana Tech. And so his friend Charlie called me and said, look, John Bell Edwards, friend of mine, close friend, we grew up together. He's running for governor. Would you meet with him when he comes to town next week? So as a favorite to my friend, I said, sure, I'll meet with him. So John Bell Edwards came up. He brought his wife to my office, sat in my office, sat across from me, and when I talk to a politician, I'm always very straightforward. Before they leave the conversation, they have been told by me, I will support you or I'm not going to support you, and in both cases, here's why. Here's what John Bell Edwards did. Now, keep in mind, 
He had been a member of a state legislature, but he'd never been in any other political job whatsoever. I wrote down, he promised me that if he was elected, he would do 10 specific things. And there were three other ones that he would not do. I wrote them down as he promised. And I told him I would think about supporting him. He's a Democrat. At that time, I was still a registered Republican. I'm no longer. Now, my registration in Louisiana as a voter is as an independent. And I did that for one reason and one reason only. Sometimes we have uh, primaries which are closed, which means if you're not registered to a specific party, Democrat or Republican, when their candidates run in primaries, you don't get to vote. If you're registered as a Republican, you can't vote in a Democrat primary. That's a closed primary. We don't have those anymore, but at the time we did. Anyway, I wrote down these things. And so I thought about it. I prayed about it. Talked to my wife about it. And I decided I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to support him. He is in his second term as our governor and Every one of the 10 things he promised he would do, he hasn't done a single one of them. And the three he promised that he absolutely positively would not do, he's done all three of those. Politicians say what they think needs to be said when they go by and talk to somebody about not voting for them, but giving them a paycheck. Give me a contribution to my political campaign. The love of money is the root of all evil. I didn't make that up. I promise you, (laughs) I didn't make that up. So anyway, John Bell Edwards is still the governor of Louisiana, and uh, he's a pure Catholic pro-life guy. I respect him for that, and I support him in all of those kind of things. But on the other side, he is a consummate, tax and spend Democrat. Oh my gosh. And our roads are horrible. I mean, I'm embarrassed. We have two east-west interstates. We have one that runs east-west through south Louisiana. That's Interstate 10. All across the bottom of the state. We have one in north Louisiana. That's Interstate 20. Both of those are critical east-to-west coast transportation for big trucks, 18-wheelers. And I mean, the traffic is unbelievable. When you come back into Louisiana from being in Texas, or even now coming back into Louisiana from being in Mississippi, Mississippi's on our east side, when you cross the state line, you almost have to slow down 10 or 15 miles an hour because if you don't, the bumps on the interstate, you'll hit your head on your own ceiling inside. The guy has oodles of money. And when I say oodles, comparatively, we're not a very rich state, Louisiana, but we have budget surpluses almost every year. And they're not spending money on the interstates. The last time they did any real work on an interstate in Louisiana, it was the interstate down south between Baton Rouge and Lafayette, Louisiana, my hometown. And it was because it was south Louisiana. I mean, I I get that. But Democrats, they play the political party scheme that whatever is best for them and whoever will agree with them 
That's who he's going to support. And as long as they support him, and I mean support slash dollars and cents, he's going to be right there with them. Quid pro quo. That's the reason why when I was asked one time to run for a political office, I said I would never do it because I don't have the money to run a campaign on my own, which means I have to go collect campaign contributions. And I don't care who you are. If I ask you to write a check to my campaign, I'm going to be obligated to you. And if after I'm elected, if I'm in office and you want to talk to me about something, I'm obligated. I'm going to at least talk to you about something. And often in those conversations, the one who wrote the check gets a little testy and reminds the politician, hey, when you didn't have any money, you came to me, I wrote you a check and you promised you would listen to me. I need you to listen to me right now. (laughs) What are you going to do? Well, you know what most politicians do, and it's not good. So we had the two big pipelines under the Baltic Sea from Russia to North Europe, Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2. They were blown up two days ago, and we found out this morning, we told you they were blown up in three different places along both of those pipelines. We found out this morning it's four. Russia blames the U.S., Russia said they didn't have anything to do with it. Every country in Europe said they didn't have anything to do with it. Oh, by the way, our Pentagon put out a statement and said we didn't have anything to do with it. So who did it? (laughs) Somebody knows. And why would they do it? It was very, very odd that the same day those two pipelines were blown up, a brand new pipeline running from Norway again through the Baltic Sea into Germany, Northern Europe, that's transporting gas. Two pipelines blown up, same day a new pipeline opens up. That's just too controversial and too obvious to be a coincidence. I'm sorry. Somebody sabotaged and blew Nord Stream 1 and 2 up. I know they're not totally destroyed, but it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of time to get those back online. It's very concerning to me that Russia thinks that we're responsible. That means Vladimir Putin, typically he'll find a way to get back at us. He always does. That's who he is, former KGB officer. He hates the United States. He's scared to death that we're going to do something on a global scale to hurt him bad. He's even, he thinks he's in danger of being assassinated, and he may be. I don't know. But if he legitimately gets any information that's credible enough for him to really believe that the United States was either involved in it or did it, Katie, bar the nail, there's going to be something bad that he does to the United States. There are people that say even Russia may have bombed it, but NATO. Members, they all say they had nothing to do with it. And we talked a little bit ago about climate change and some of the craziness and how the uh, climate change advocates live their lives. Environmentalist Democrats forced Senator Joe Manchin. You remember this? This happened this week. 
Joe Manchin, a Democrat, he's right in the middle. He's a very moderate Democrat. He's probably the only Democrat in the state of West Virginia. West Virginians just love Joe. Well, he cut a deal. You remember? He was a holdout on Joe Biden's, the infrastructure, big, big package. And Manchin was going to have to vote with Democrats to get it done. And for weeks and weeks, he said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But they kept going after him. So two weeks ago, they got him. I don't know how they got him, but they did promise him a quid pro quo thing on a bill that he was trying to get acted enacted that would help his people in West Virginia. So Chuck Schumer, Senate Majority Leader, promised Joe that if he would vote for Joe Biden's infrastructure bill, which is not, I'm sorry, Inflation Reduction Act bill, which is not reducing inflation. Nothing in it was for that purpose. They just named it that so some stupid American people would just see it and say, hey, we need to vote for this Inflation Reduction Act so we can reduce inflation and call our members of the Senate and the House of Representatives to get them to vote it. Guess what? I predicted this. They're not going to give Manchin his bill after they get this signed into law. Manchin asked Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer two days ago to take his bill out of the continuing resolution package. Manchin's bill was a bill for West Virginia, the one that he had gotten agreement with Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi that they would give him that bill for West Virginia if he voted for Biden's infrastructure bill. I said it again. It's not infrastructure. It's inflation reduction bill. So it went on and on and on, and they said, we're not going to be able to get this done. We're not going to be able to get this done. Republicans aren't going to give us a continuing resolution, and we're going to default on our debt as of midnight tonight. We didn't have any spending money for Congress to spend on maintaining our bond status and paying our bond debt so we wouldn't go into default. So they put Joe Manchin in the corner, and basically they just let him have it. Manchin's Energy Independence and Security Act would have instructed the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission to permit transmission lines that would transport electricity that was generated by solar and wind energy to urban cities around the country, which could have helped accelerate Biden's green energy transition. Those lines are essential to get this renewable energy projects funded by the Democrats' $370 billion climate bill. That's according to a September 23rd report. The president supports Senator Manchin's plan because it is necessary for our energy security and to make more clean energy available to the American people. That was from the White House. We will continue to work with him to find a vehicle to bring this bill to the floor and get it passed and to the president's desk. Well, despite that bill's potential to help the Biden administration get its climate change targets, Independent Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont, Vermont, who caucuses with the Democrats, sent a letter urging senators to vote against it. Sanders called Manchin's bill a big oil side deal, 
arguing that would it help the fossil fuel industry pollute the planet. Democrat Senator Tim Kaine of Virginia also rejected Manchin's attempt to streamline the federal permitting process for energy projects. Why? Because it would instruct federal agencies to expedite the permitting of the dangerous Mountain Valley Project, a natural gas pipeline between Virginia and West Virginia. Here we go, folks. They're doing everything. They're passing everything, blocking everything, based totally on one thing and one thing only. And what is that? How's it going to impact climate change? We can't have this climate change stuff. It's going to destroy the nation. It's polluting our world. Our kids are breathing in nasty fossil fuel air. And we owe it to every other country to lead the way and stop that. Forget about China and India. You can't even breathe their air over there. You're fighting back the tidal wave of deceit, lies, spin, and ignorance. With TNN, the Truth News Network. Long live the courageous. The tenacious. The ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good. The helping hand. Those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. The will to outwork. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram, proven to last. So we have new evidence now that implicates the FBI in something else. Golly, our FBI, they just stay in trouble. They, the FBI, are revoking security clearances of conservative FBI agents, and they're retaliating against suspected whistleblowers. This news, according to three House Republicans. Republicans in both chambers have alleged widespread politicized misconduct in the FBI, most notably by a Washington, D.C. agent who investigated Hunter Biden. That agent, Timothy Tebow, resigned from the FBI in August rather than face an internal review. Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley, the ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, has said that whistleblowers have approached him to report internal misconduct in the Bureau's investigations into Donald Trump. The FBI is cracking down on suspected whistleblowers, and they're doing it in response, according to Republican representatives Jim Jordan of Ohio, Daryl Issa of California, and Mike Johnson, our buddy here in Louisiana. 
This is all alleged in a letter to FBI Executive Assistant Director Jennifer Lee Moore. Moore signed many clearance revocation orders and retaliated against at least one whistleblower, these lawmakers claim. Mike Johnson talked to us about this on the air earlier this week, Tuesday, Tuesday morning. Here's the deal, folks. Here's the deal. It is illegal in the United States for any employer, whenever there's a whistleblower that goes into the whistleblower process that is put together, it's structured, it has specific ways to do it and penalties and all kinds of stuff. If a whistleblower goes through that, he or she is protected by law and there can be no legal retaliation against them for bringing forth whistleblower information. Once a whistleblower makes a protected disclosure, no agency of the government can retaliate in any way against the employee for that disclosure. In the letter written to FBI Director Christopher Wray, these Republicans said this, your efforts to interfere with FBI employees who seek to expose the Bureau's misconduct by communicating directly with Congress cannot be condoned. So FBI agent Stephen Friend was reportedly suspended, escorted out of a Florida field office after he declined to participate in an arrest operation targeting one January 6th Capitol riot suspect. Friend filed a whistleblower report that detailed his experience. Other whistleblowers have reportedly alleged that the FBI is pulling agents off a child sexual abuse case to investigate the Capitol riot and that Bureau superiors told agents not to look into Hunter Biden's laptop. Hunter Biden's laptop. It keeps coming up. It keeps coming around. Representative Byron Donnell, he roasted the House yesterday about the House doing nothing about Hunter Biden's laptop. Thank you, Madam Chair. I actually want to thank the previous the member for actually explaining the playbook from the Democrats that seems to be on display every single day, whether here in these chambers or on any major news network or in any major newspaper in the United States. The purpose of the HRES is quite simple, to get information from the president with respect to the business dealings of his son. Now, the president has told us time and time again, frankly, it's a lie, but the president has told us time and time again that he has no idea what his son is actually doing. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we all know that is the dumbest thing we've all heard. I have three sons. I've been away from my sons for 10 days, but trust me, I know exactly what they're doing. It doesn't take me long to pick up a phone and ask or to find out. The president knows what his son is engaged in. What his son is primarily being engaged in is a, is a mineral called cobalt. Let's educate the committee on cobalt. Cobalt is a mineral, a metal that is essential in the manufacturing of electric vehicles. Cobalt is one of the most important components of electric car batteries, solar panels, and other renewable energy sources. A Tesla long-range vehicle requires 10 pounds of cobalt, more than 400 times the amount of cobalt needed in a cell phone. Two-thirds 
of the world's cobalt production comes from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Hunter Biden has been heavily involved in the 2016 sale of a cobalt mine in the Democratic Republic of the Congo to a company that is a Chinese company. He was very involved. The New York Times has reported on his level of involvement. So do you mean to tell me that Joe Biden, who was then was a former vice president of the United States, then candidate for the presidency of the United States, now president of the United States, had no idea that his son was engaged in the sale of a cobalt mine to a Chinese company at the same time when the centerpiece of Joe Biden's energy policy is electric cars in the United States and more green technology? I mean, come on, folks. That is just crazy. You can sit here and try to lecture us about the leaks at Mar-a-Lago, which, by the way, let me also state for the record for the American people, there have been no hearings, there have been no classified briefings about documents at Mar-a-Lago. So the members of Congress who are saying what they know, what they're talking about are leaks into the news media, which, by the way, are illegal Leaks that are coming either A, from the Department of Justice, or B, from the FBI, we don't know because the press protects their sources. But if you're citing that, that is illegal information obtained by the press with active investigations. But let's go back to Hunter Biden. The chairman is, the, the, vice, the, the ranking member is correct. There are changes by Joe Biden to the ability for Congress to get suspicious activity reports. I am a recovering banker. When we issue suspicious activity reports, it's not just thrown out like a mere bag of shells. It's done for specific reasons because there are concerns about criminalities surrounding the financial transaction. If Hunter Biden and other members of the Biden family have more than 100 suspicious activity reports, Congress does need to know about this because a funny thing's happening at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Joe Biden is president of the United States. His son, who's not a kid, by the way, the man's 50 years old. He ain't a kid, okay? His son is running around the world cutting deals. His son is involved, involved in suspicious activity reports where financial institutions are making that readily or have, have, have actually drafted those documents. And Congress doesn't want to know. We don't want to have oversight now. I find it interesting. I think it's very clear that the members of the majority party do have a playbook when it comes to smearing their political opponents. They talked about several people, like Lois Lerner. Yeah, she was discriminating against Tea Party groups. That was a fact. Like Benghazi, yes, there was, there was, a, there was a dilatory effects at the Department of State that led to the death of four members of, of that four people that serviced our country and served our country. That did occur. And the one thing we already know is occurring, not through conjecture, because the documents of the transactions are quite clear. Hunter Biden was readily involved in the transactions dealing with Chinese companies for a mineral that is critical to the Democrat agenda respect, with respect to the Green New Deal. If Congress should not investigate what's going on between Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, then I don't even know what we're doing here, folks. We might as well just wait till the midterms are over. I yield back. There you go. Hunter Biden. Smartest man our president has ever known and absolutely positively has done nothing wrong. On that note, I'll bid you adieu. Don't forget tomorrow our bullet point offerings 
synopsis of the biggest stories of the week in bullet point format. You have a great weekend, and we'll see you first thing Monday morning, 9 Central Time, 9 a.m. And it's, of course, 9 to 11 a.m. Have a great weekend. So long, everybody. Eat, sleep, and breathe it. You're full of the stuff. Go back and tie it up tight. Wheat, meat, dairy, free tea, total happy, clappy, high on life. You should try it. You should know. You should know. Go on while no one's looking. you to keep me quiet. Golden boy boots, pocket pedestal, making sharp smart moves. Plastic tin can, paper separated, busy be wave, wave, save the planet flag. But sneaking in suburbia. Charming, very charming. Well, I can play the full known still at ease and put the deepest Swiss bank trust in you. No one saw it coming. No. You to keep me quiet. <laughs> <laughs>